open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. Continuing in our Easter series, Jesus tells us who he is. It's a series that where we take the words of Jesus and he tells us what to believe about him. And Jesus was very aware of who he was. He knew from an early age that there was something very special about him and he came into his own, of course. And so there were a series of statements where he told people who he was and how they could view God as they watched him work. And, you know, we talk about being intentional and everything Jesus did was intentional. He was very aware that people were watching him. He knew that people would write words down in memory of him and that 2,000 years later, People would gather and worship and celebrate. So when he spoke these words, I am the good shepherd, he wanted us to understand exactly who he was. So he used an image that was very familiar in that culture. So we're going to talk about this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd today. John chapter 10. And I, I remind you that you are doing this Palm Sunday celebration with hundreds of millions of Christians all over the world. Different languages, different cultures, different time zones of course. But you are connected with Christians historically because we worship the crucified Christ. Next week, of course, we celebrate resurrection. This week, we talk about crucifixion. So we pray with that in mind. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. This Palm Sunday, we recognize the life that you've given us, the sacrifice that it took, the crucifixion of Jesus. We thank you for this great gift, Father. We honor you for your mercy and grace towards us, for your generosity in all things, for blessing us as you have. Thank you, Father. This Palm Sunday, we thank you especially for allowing your son to die on the cross. For sacrificing the one you love for us. Thank you, Father, for working to save us. For working to teach us how to live. For allowing us to be better than we were. To reach our best self. Thank you. We pray this morning for Christians and the church all over the world. We know that we gather in peace and safety and security. But many of our brothers and sisters in Christ struggle together today. They risk their lives to gather and worship. We pray that you be with them. Bless them. Give them hope in their difficult circumstances. Protect them, Father, as only you can. We pray that the world would hear this message of peace. Help us, Father, not only to teach it and talk it, but to do it to love others, to be gracious and forgiving, to look past our differences, and to see us as one in Christ. We pray, Father, that we would be known by our love, that we would share what we have with others, that we would work for the well-being of others. As always, Father, we pray this morning for our soldiers, first responders, for those that are separated from their families in service, Give them comfort and peace. 
Help them to recognize that their sacrifices are not in vain. We pray, Father, for the families of those that are separated. Give them comfort. Help them to recognize the honor of what their families are doing. We pray, as always, for those who lead us, for those who have power over us. We pray that they would be given wisdom and discernment and the ability to make good decisions. Help us, Father. As a nation, we struggle with so many things and we disagree on everything. Help us to find a reason to stand together. We pray for strength and protection for this nation and for those around us that we might be a good witness to them. Speak to us now, Father. Teach us from your word. Help us to learn how we can view you as the good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever known someone but you didn't know them very well? Ever get a false impression of somebody because you didn't know them very well and later on you found out that you were completely wrong? On screen is a picture of a guy. He's an actor, Brett Goldstein. I don't know if any of you watched Ted Lasso or not. It's kind of a hit, but it's not on all the main channels. But anyway, this guy is an actor, and he's n not really germane to the sermon, but he's just one of those guys that was talking. I heard him on an interview in NPR a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about footballers. Footballers are soccer players. Now, you know what football players are here. We don't call them footballers. Footballers, and that's how he talks. He says footballers because he's got a British accent. And footballers are people that play professional soccer. And he said these are big, mean men. He said they are big and they're strong and they're fast and they're very aggressive on the field. You've seen that. You know, soccer is that world-famous sport, etc., etc. So he was talking about footballers. He grew up in a footballer family. He had played soccer growing up through high school and college. And his family was immersed in that footballer culture, soccer. And he knew a lot of professional soccer players. His dad had been evidently a professional soccer player. And they had a constant stream of these professional footballers come to his house. And he got to know them all well. He goes, 201, they were gracious and kind people. But great big burly guys, kind of loud. And on field, they were aggressive and horrible people, he said. He goes, that was the game. You had to be mean and vicious to be a good footballer. Footballer. So anyway, he told a story that because of his contacts, he knew of a guy who was starting out as a professional footballer. And he had been in his home and he met him. He was a really nice kid, a typical pro footballer player. And uh, he was so excited because on the field, he was going to play with some of his heroes. And he ran out to one of those heroes, and I didn't know they recognized the names because they're British, but he ran up to his hero, the guy that he had followed ever since he'd been a kid, which tells you a little bit of the age difference, and he ran up to his hero and just literally gushed over him. And the young man was telling this story to Brett. And he said, he, I, he said, I went up to him and I just said, I've been following you since I was a little boy, and I'm just so happy to play with you and play against you. And the guy was in footballer mode and he ripped the little boy apart and the little boy of course was six foot five and all those kinds of things but he literally ripped him apart verbally got in his face bullied him around and tormented him through the whole game and was particularly vicious to him in the game and he destroyed this young kid's image of this hero Brett who talked to him later said the crazy thing was his hero that was so vicious to him on the field, he said, was the, one of the nicest guys he had ever met. He was compassionate and gracious and kind to a fault, unless he was on the football field. 
And he said there's no way that he convinced him otherwise because the guy's only experience with his hero was he was a vicious, mean guy and he didn't ever want to talk to him again. Good example, isn't it, of how you think you know somebody and when you meet him it's completely different and the impression you get from meeting someone simply isn't the way it is. Maybe that's the way we are with God sometimes. People have an idea of what God is like. Think of the images of God. A big, angry, white man, always white, always on a big throne, long white robes, long white hair. Have you ever noticed it? Every picture of God's the same. Long white hair, long white beard, old guy, of course, roaring and usually lightning bolts in his hands. That's most people's image of God. Of course, that's not who God really is. That's an aspect of his character, but it surely isn't the God who was God. So, when we look at the way Jesus described God and described himself, and remember, Jesus did make that claim of being God himself. He wanted people to understand what God was really like. So, when he talked about himself and talked about God, he said, I am the good shepherd. So, in the passage you're going to read in John chapter 10, Jesus explains this. So, follow along if you would, John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with the shepherd. Now drop down, if you would, to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus claims to be the good shepherd. So on screen is this idea of what we can gain when we see Jesus and God as the good shepherd. He offers us a close and a loving relationship with the living God. As I said, one of the images that people have of God is of an angry God. Now we know that's part of his character. We see those stories in the Old Testament. But isn't it strange that those are the only stories we seem to be able to grab? God as an angry God judging and punishing sinners. And those are the images that I have from being a little kid going to Sunday school and teachers literally scaring the hell right out of me with this picture of an angry God. And I think they were intending to do that. You know, there was a time when talking about an angry God who would punish you that seemed appropriate all the time. And it's not so appropriate anymore. Not that it's anything bad, but you know, that's really not the full character of God. The full character of God is much more full and much more characterized by grace and love and is concerned for us. So Jesus was trying to convey that with this image of the good shepherd. On screen are some ideas. We'll just get some things, idea uh, that Jesus gave in this speech of his about the good shepherd. And these are characteristics of a good shepherd. And you've got to remember he was talking to people who knew shepherds. 
Some of them were shepherds. Some of them had, had shepherds in their family. In an agrarian culture, everybody knew what a good shepherd was. And so Jesus used those understandings to help them understand who God was. So the first thing he said, and you can see this in verses 12 to 13. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees them because he's hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. So he contrasts good and bad shepherds. Again, using their understanding. A good shepherd was characterized by strength of character and courage and bravery and all those kinds of things. And a bad shepherd was a hired hand. Two different understandings. And you know what I'm talking about. We've all been to Walmart or any other store, you name it, and had a good worker. And they help you and they follow you around and they try to do all those good things. That's a good worker. And then there is that worker, and this is my recent experience. And Barb, I know you worked at Walmart, so this wasn't you. But this is my most recent experience. Hi, ma'am, how you doing? I'm fine, what do you want? And literally. And I said, well, I need to find this. She goes, okay. And so she did a search on the phone of where I needed to go to in the store, which was helpful. And she never looked up. She goes, it's over there, aisle C3. Thank you. That's a hireling. A hired hand, get it? So Jesus was saying there are differences. There's the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life, the one who's courage and, and looks the sheep and literally looks the animals in the eye and, and cares for them and does a good job. And then the, there's the other guy. And as soon as it's scary or hard, he runs off, and Jesus uses that image. He's a hireling, and as soon as the wolf comes, and that was the big image, he ran away. He knows his sheep. Look at verses 14 and 27, if you would. Chapter 10 still, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I've never been a shepherd, but I've talked about my goats a little bit. So let me tell you my experience with my goats. My goats know my voice because I'm down there with them every day. At night they know that I'm bringing them supper and I'm going to take care of them, etc., etc. And they know my voice. When I say my voice, when I say something to them, they recognize me and they'll come around the corner looking for me. So yesterday, my little red-headed granddaughter was with me. This is uh, Betty Joy. She's this tall and got a mouth about that big. And it's just always going. She runs fast, talks fast, and she has this piercing voice. So I knew that when we came around the corner, I would just say, here, bub. And they would come around the corner. Instead, she goes, hey, goats! And they ran and hid because they didn't know her voice. And they didn't want any part of her. So we chased those goats for about 10 minutes, trying to get any of them to let her, let her pet them. Not a single one of them would let them touch her. Not a single one of them. She didn't touch a goat. She was not a happy camper because she wanted to pet a goat. And I knew, I said, Betty, you just got to stop talking. And, and then she couldn't do that. So anyway, we play, did something else. We played on the playground and all that. So when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, the good shepherd is known by his sheep. They recognize him. They are comforted by that voice. He talks to them and they know the tone of voice. And if he's soothing and comforting, they know they're going to be fine. And if he raises his voice, they know they're doing something wrong. And when he raises his voice, they would turn away from what they were going towards out of fear and him protecting them. So they began to understand that. And the crazy thing was, 
And you can read these stories of people with animals like this, and still to this day it's this way in the part of the world, that a shepherd can name those sheep, even if there's hundreds, he has them all named usually, and he calls them, they have different personalities, and they recognize that voice. And Jesus has painted this image, not just of him as Jesus, son of God, but as God himself, who is a God who is known by his sheep, and a God who loves his sheep. And they recognize him and he knows them by name. You see, he's conveying an image that God is this loving, gracious character who knows you. He knows what you need. He knows when you need discipline. He knows when you need a comfort. He knows when you need encouragement. And God provides it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's through his people in the church. Sometimes it's through a passage of scripture that you'll come upon. Sometimes it's through a piece of music or something like that. But God has a way of working to help us because he knows us. Then look at verse 16, still chapter 10. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they shall hear my voice and they shall become one flock with the shepherd. Okay, so he's talking about the other people, Gentiles. So he came to reach Jews and he also came to reach Gentiles, and that was a thing. Jews didn't believe that. So Jesus put this in here because there are other people I've got to reach. Now, just so you'll know, Jesus was not talking about aliens here. Seriously, that's a thing. And you know this, there are people around the world that follow UFOs, and the government has a file, yes. And we've seen the movies in Area 51, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, there are people who look at this passage, and if you read the UFO material... Not from the government, but from the people out there who really get into this. They will quote this passage saying, even Jesus knew there were aliens. Because this is who he was talking about. So in their mind, the people said, when Jesus left this earth, he was going to other planets to reach those other tribes. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Just so you'll know. At least I don't think so. I think Jesus was saying, the Gentile peoples have to be reached. So he was saying, listen, God loves all people. God doesn't just love the Jews. We know he did that. God loves Gentiles. In fact, is this idea of division between Jew and Gentile is something that God wants us to ignore. So, to make that a bigger picture, the good shepherd sees all people as people that he loves. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. The children's song is correct in this instance. It doesn't matter if they've failed or not, whether they're straight or their gender or their identity or color. None of those things really matter to God in terms of whether or not he loves them. There are lifestyles he blesses, but he loves everybody. We have to get that straight. And Christians have a hard time with that. You know, and sometimes Christians, in fact, I don't know why this is, but the only time Christians make the news in this culture is when they do something horrible. And, you know, we do that often because still Christians are struggling with this idea of the good shepherd loving everybody. And that's our example. The good shepherd loves us. And by the way, we are Gentiles, just so you'll know. So we are part of that tribe that God loves, just like the Jews. And we have to accept the fact that Jesus loves everybody and God loves everybody. So whenever we talk and share the gospel or we watch people on TV and we're wondering, well, how can they believe that? Or how can they do that? Just remember, it doesn't matter. God loves them anyway. Doesn't mean everything they do is correct. That's not what we're talking about. God loves them. You have friends and family, probably kids and grandkids that you're not very happy with. And you still love them.
You know people whose lifestyle is hurting them and may be offensive to you. And you are to love them anyway. Sometimes you do love them and it grieves you because you see them suffering. And that's how God is. The good shepherd sees us. He sees us doing things that are going to hurt us. And he moves to help us in that. He's the good shepherd. He knows us. And he seeks us out. So remember that. So when you encounter people that offend you or just live in a way that you can't imagine, your goal is to represent Christ to them. So you love them. You accept them. You do not have to pick a fight with them. More than likely, your politics will be different than theirs. Don't bring it up. You don't have to fight about politics. More than likely, there are views on God and a lot of things. You don't have to bring up all those things. Initially, when you're around people like this that you have these differences with, just accept them and love them. And as you develop a relationship with them and they learn to accept you and hear your word, then you can bring on some of those other things and maybe challenge them. But what you need to do, first of all, is follow the lead of the Good Shepherd. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, encountered people every day that were offensive to him. And he loved them anyway. He was even murdered by people that hated him. And he loved them anyway. Father, forgive them. They don't understand. See, he's the model for us. The good shepherd loves people. All people. The best shepherds were like that. The best shepherds had animals in their flock that were difficult to deal with. Protected them anyway. Jesus is saying, this is who he is. The good shepherd that loves everyone. One of the other things in this passage is that the idea that Jesus is the shepherd who fights for his sheep. Sometimes, it would be nice to have someone on our side, wouldn't it? Sometimes it's an insurance agent. Sometimes it's a lawyer. Sometimes it's a parent. Sometimes we just need somebody to stand with us. And Jesus says, the good shepherd is like that. He's there to fight with you. So on screen are a couple of characteristics of this strong shepherd. Look at verses 11 and 15. Still in chapter 10. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then verse 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd is known to fight and get between the sheep and the wolf. That's the understanding. And that's the way the good shepherds were. And they would often fight and put themselves in danger to protect their herd. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. Which means Jesus fights for you, whatever that means. So think of those situations where you feel like people are attacking you or beating you down. Understand that Jesus is with you. And he will stand with you and fight for you. Now the way Jesus fights for you sometimes is he helps you be strong and gives you courage. Sometimes you can pray and God will literally change some circumstances. Now he doesn't always do that. But it's okay to pray that way. God, will you help me? Help me to deal with this. Calm his anger or something like that. You can pray like that and it's okay. And sometimes God will change circumstances. Not always. That's not always the way God helps us. But God does make a difference. He changes circumstances. He changes people's mood. Sometimes he uses your demeanor to change people's moods. So in that way, the good shepherd fights for you and protects you. Lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus said, I did this for you. Talking about his crucifixion and resurrection. 
And so we're in this Easter season, and this week we celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us. The crucifixion is literally Jesus laying down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's us. Jesus died for you. You will never meet someone for whom Jesus did not die. Jesus did die for the murderer, the bad guys, the people you don't understand, the people that are messed up. God died for every one of them. So we have to remember that. We have to remember Jesus didn't die just for the good people. Whatever that means. He died for everyone. And then... In verses 28 through 30, he brings up something that's pretty important. Follow along. Verses 28 through 30. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So, Jesus uses the understanding of good shepherd to bring up this idea of eternal security. Now, Baptists are big about the issue of eternal security. I grew up hearing preachers say, once saved, always saved. And some of you did too. So, you know what I'm talking about. This idea of, one, of eternal security is, as long as you follow Jesus as Savior and claim Him as Savior, you are safe in God's hands. You will not lose your salvation. No one can destroy you spiritually. No one can take away your salvation. And Jesus made a point here for people to understand this. Because that's a thing. Historically, the church, Christians, Catholics, Baptists, didn't matter. There have been groups of people in every era where a group of people have decided that if you're not a good Christian like we say, you're going to go to hell. And we can do that. We can take away your salvation. So this has been a way for groups of Christian leaders to oppress people and squeeze them for money and for obedience. And it's been very effective. And if you can get someone to believe that if you're not a good Christian and don't give X amount of money or do this for the pastor, he can take away your salvation, that's terrifying. And it's very powerful. So Jesus said, the good shepherd protects you from that. No one shall snatch you out of the Father's hands. Which means, no matter what you do to me, I cannot take away your salvation. No matter what you do to a church or what you do, a church body cannot vote you out of salvation. They can't do that. It's just not even within the, the possibility of discussion. It is between you and God, and so you are absolutely secure, absolutely safe, as you claim Jesus as Savior. And it doesn't matter if you're perfect. It doesn't matter if you've fallen. Or how many times you've fallen. Remember Jesus had that teaching. 70 times 7 are going to be forgiven. Just don't even worry about it. Come back to God. Repent. And you'll be forgiven. So isn't it interesting here that Jesus talked about something. That was just beginning to be a concern. But Jesus had been around for a long time remember. He had seen not the church. But he had seen even in Judaism. There were priests who squeezed people for money. And they squeezed them for obedience. And they took took names, and they could tell people, listen, you are out of the kingdom of God because of this. And they used that as a weapon. So Jesus saw that. So here Jesus is fighting for the oppressed, isn't he? And that's kind of a slang, that's kind of a, a thing in our culture. But Jesus started it when he said, you are safe in the Father's hands. He's saying, listen, it's between you and God. Your salvation is nobody else's business. It's only you and God. You are responsible to live out your faith. 
Yes. You are responsible to follow Jesus faithfully. Yes. But preachers and priests, churches, canons, cycles, encyclicals, none of those things can take away salvation. And you can't either. It's not up to you and I to determine whether or not that person is saved. So when you look at these groups of people, and you look at the crazy ones, and you know what I'm talking about, there are crazies everywhere. They're not like us, of course, whatever that is. But, you know, whenever you think of a group of people that isn't saved, that's not up for you to determine. For you, it's up to you to be gracious and loving towards them and offer them grace. That's your job. Your job is to love people. Your job is to offer grace to people, to help people however they can. And let God worry about whether or not they're in. That's between them and him, okay? So don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about, well, am I a Christian? Well, the only question that makes relevance is, have you asked Jesus to save you? And said, oh yes, I did that. Then the correct answer is, well, if you were sincere, then you're Christian. And if you still claim Jesus as Savior, then you're still Christian. And that's the discussion. And then you can say, well, but you know, some of your life is disobedient and these sins in your life are hurting you. That's another discussion. But it doesn't determine their salvation. And Jesus is saying here, the good shepherd knows his people. And no one shall snatch him out of his hand. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So the good shepherd is our advocate, our protector, the one who cares for us and, and loves us, and his job is to nurture us and keep us safe. And so our job as sheep is to respond to the good shepherd, and we will. And then our job is to help people understand the correct image of God. So when you're with people and you're wanting to witness to them or something, uh, you know, it comes up, the discussion comes up, and you hear somebody talking about the angry God, that's a cue for you. You know, sometimes God is angry because of our sin, but, you know, God really loves us. And we may be worth a good whack sometimes, but he still loves us. And use the example of kids and grandkids. You know, we love them. And they deserve a swat once in a while or whatever. They deserve a timeout or whatever. But it doesn't mean we don't love them. And God loves people just like that. He is the best shepherd you'll ever have. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. The invitation is to allow this good shepherd to be a part of your life. To make those commitments that will allow him to be more influential. To save you and to protect you and give you hope. Why don't you stand with me and respond if you would.
Thank you, Nate. Michelle's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. We have Maundy Thursday service, Thursday evening. And we'll have a quiet, contemplative service, pondering what the crucifixion of Jesus means to us. I also hope you'll come to that and then celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. Michelle? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the message this morning and for the reminder that Jesus is our good shepherd. We fall and he picks us up. We get lost and he finds us. He's always seeking us. Father, help us to be able to relay that love and mercy and grace to others in the way that you've shown it to us. Amen.